Well, everybody, we're here for another Emergency Brisbane Football Review podcast. It's James Scott and Adam here for the Brisbane Football Review. Funnily enough, as our hiatus has been brought to an end a little bit earlier than expected, thanks to today's breaking news, that uh, Robbie Fowler is not coming back to Brisbane and is no longer the coach of the Raw. So, first and foremost, let's go straight to instant reaction. Scott, how are you going? And, uh, yeah, what have you been up to? Yeah, I'm going all right, James. I mean... It's been a bit quiet, and there's not a lot going on at the moment, unfortunately. But, I mean, in relation to this news, I just think when that story came, when he appeared on TV a week and a half ago saying he wasn't sure what was happening and all the rest of it, I think it was pretty clear the way this was heading, and it was just a matter of, at some point, a decision had to be made and announced because, what are we, just over three weeks away from the the Raw's first game of the season resumption, and and your coach isn't in the country. It's clear which way it's going, and... It is disappointing to see a season which was building some real momentum for the Raw take a backward turn, but I mean, it's not a surprise really, is it, what's happened today? Definitely not. And Adam, the story came out, uh, I think this actually is our first Monday recording session as well, but uh, yeah, so Vince Rigari was the first one with the story from the Sydney Morning Herald, so can I just get your reaction when that story came out about 11 o'clock this morning? Yeah, look, it's uh, one of those things where, you know, I'm I'm not surprised, but I am surprised about the way this has sort of all gone down, that at the end of the day, all the signs were there, you know, when, when the pandemic hit, you know, when the alleged, the allegation that, well, actually, it turned out to be proven that, you know, that, that basically all the staff was stood down, you knew that something was going to give, and look, um, I don't, I don't want to sort of call out, you know, Rory Fowler as far as his real reasons for it, but obviously, you know, the whole pandemic uh, it's obviously a convenient excuse to sort of get out of the contract. And uh, look, at here we are. And, the fact, and Scott's right. The fact that we're only you know, 19 days away from the first game uh, and he's not here, um, look, it was only going to go one way. Well, you don't want to call out Robbie Fowler, Adam. I will. I think the fact that he's been basically going around the UK handing out his resume, getting all sorts of puff pieces on various publications, going from the athletic one that came out just before mm-hmm. or after Easter as well. I think the fact that he's been basically... You know, going around saying, look what I've done in two-thirds, three-quarters of a season in Australia. Give me a job you know, back home in the UK, which is where I really want to be. I think that's, quite frankly, disgusting. Like, you signed a two-year deal. We all knew that maybe after one year there was a chance it was going to end, whether this went really well or really badly. But the fact that he basically, you know, went straight back to the UK and started, for lack of a better phrase, pimping himself out to any and every job that was going... I think that's really, really poor. And, you know, I get that, you know, they might have signed Fowler, you know, as a in lieu of a marquee player, but I think it also shows that, you know, he's not the sort of guy you want to associate your club with for a manager role. No, you're right, James. He's definitely been... We've, we've seen the reports of him being linked with certain jobs over in the UK. Nothing concrete, but his name's been appearing more and more in all of the... Not Premier League clubs looking for jobs, managers, but in the the football league, shall we say, every time a club comes up looking for a manager, his name is popping up, and a couple of times in the last week or so, his name's become quite prominent in those in those coaching searches. So, I mean, it's not it, you could be right that he has been doing that over there. It's just it's just really it's really almost like it's sad in a way. Like 
this season now, it's, we'll get onto it in our actual preview show in a couple of weeks, but it's just, it's so hard to see how they're all progressed from here again the rest of this season. It's just, it's really put things completely back to square one. Because oh, he's, God. he built a pretty good side, Robbie Fowler, this year. In rebuilding the club, he's done a good job, but it's almost back to square one now when you think about it, because all the work that's been done was built for a side to be coached by him playing in his football, and now he's not here. It's just a terrible shame. We've got to almost go one step further and say, you know, this sort of gives cause of why, why are we even bothering with the rest of the season? Like, this, this is three three coaches now that are now gone uh, from, from those that before the pause. Like, oh, look, I, I know why. And obviously as well, um, obviously now that the Fox money's been paid, look, you're, you're, they're, they're obliged to go ahead. But, you know, sort of in a, in a sort of, you know, sort of wishful thought, it's like, it just it just shows that this season is it's just a waste. Um, you know, I'm sure you know, Brisbane now, like Adelaide, like Melbourne Victory, not the Victory any chance anyway. Now the seasons have been pretty much decimated by the fact that their head coach is now gone and not returning. So um, yeah, look, that's that's the one thing. But um, to but to your point about you know as far as him going around um, the UK. Look, I, I dare say that in his mind, he was probably thinking he was out of a job the moment that the, that the players and stuff were stood down because it's very, very unlikely that in the UK that they would even regard, you know, JobKeeper as, you know, a contract. He He's out of a job, basically, and that he was just getting paid, you know, a nominal amount, which would have been far below what he was actually really on. And on that as well, Adam, you, I'm glad you brought that up because I did want to talk about, he had that appearance on Soccer AM, the mm. UK show, a couple of weeks ago where he said basically... There's been a break. He implied that there'd been a breakdown in communications between him and the club about how he was going to get back to Australia. And I assume, I, while I do still buy into the idea that he didn't really want to come back, he wanted to go and pursue a job in the UK while his stock was high. I do wonder if he also was thinking, well, you know, I left to be with my family. If you do want to take Fowler's side on this, yeah. did he go back? Did he say, well, now can you find me back? And I don't think that's really the. I don't think that's a fair approach to take. He's the one that left. It's not like the Raw flew him out uh, back to England at the start of all this. And I think, quite frankly, like, you know, where's the respect considering how many times did we hear when they first hired Robbie Fowler, they had this, he had this approach of nobody else wanted to give me a chance, so I'm going to where the work is. And then, what, two-thirds, three-quarters of a season later, he's gone, all right, that'll do. I'm out of here. See you later. I just... I, yeah, and I'm sure that in his mind he feels hard done by with the way that the JobKeeper stuff would have happened, you know, whether or not he was in a job or not and when he would start getting paid again. But uh, I, I just can't get past the fact that it was still pretty appalling conduct, Scott. But also, but also as well as... Sorry, yeah. Sorry, Scott. But also as well, one thing that I guess some, that I know someone pointed out on social media today is that you've got to ask the question, if... He, he, like, he had a two-year contract with the Raw, yet his family stayed in the UK. Like, the people could, ask, could very easily ask the question, well, was he really going to spend two years away from his family, you know, and, and rather than having him resell out here for two years? So, look, again, I, I don't, when it comes to family and those sort of things, that's what I didn't want to call him out on. It's because I don't think it's our right to sort of say, well, if it's for family reasons, then you're entitled to that. But as a coach... Look, there's a lot of things that from the very, very beginning could say, well, you know, he was never going to be here for two years, one way or another. Yeah, I think on the family issue, family reasons, I think we need to be careful with that because there yeah. could be very legitimate reasons why his family 
did not or could not come to Australia. So mm. we might we need to be very careful on that. But James is right. That interview he did on Soccer AM a couple of weeks ago, that was when, when I first thought, like, I, I don't think he's coming back. Up until then, I always thought he would be here eventually. But that was that for me was like, right, he's not coming back now. It's just a matter of when this gets announced and confirmed because the things he did say in that interview about a breakdown of communication between the club and himself, there's not a lot, not a lot of wriggle room on the way back for that when you think yeah. about it. And I would love to go back to the show we recorded late April last year where I think we all said there was a chance this was only going to last one season anyway and obviously none of us foresaw this global pandemic which has thrown not just the A-League but pretty much all sport into mass amounts of chaos some more the than the world, others mate, not the sport yeah yeah but sport is the world so <laughs> <laughs> but i think the one thing that i'm i still just can't get my head around is the fact that like there's an it's an awfully big gamble from his part as well because i'm sure someone will give him a go because he has put together a pretty decent resume turning the roar around the way that he has and we'll get on to our thoughts on his tenure in a couple of minutes but the fact of the matter is like it's a gamble on his part because You'd have to hope that he's got a job line almost lined up already because if not, imagine if he's still looking for work in, say, August, September and the Roar have announced their new coach. Oh, he ain't coming back. <laughs> he, oh, no, no, no I think he, I, he's, he's the sign on grata, I think, for the whole... Well, at least in Brisbane, I would think for the whole league, I think, after this because, look, at the end of the day, yeah... I'm not, uh, saying it would, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying it was going to come back, but it was just more a case of, like, how is he going to feel about all of this you know, or how's it going to look on him if he says, all right, I'm bailing, I've got something better to go to, and it turns out he doesn't. It's like basically, you know, dumping your high school girlfriend because you think you can date someone better and you realise you're not actually that interesting. Or is that just what happened to me? I think that's what just happened to you, James, but there's, 90, there's 92 clubs <laughs> oh, in England please. I didn't break up with any. I didn't break up with anyone in high school. In England, I got there's dumped. a whole bunch in Scotland and Ireland and Wales no. as well. Plus there's under-23 teams and all the rest of it. I'm sure that if he does want to continue coaching, he'll get a job somewhere. But it'll be interesting to see what, what level he does get to because he's, he did do a reasonable job at the Raw in terms of rebuilding a side and getting him playing in a particular way, but he just didn't see it through. That's well, the problem the, with it. The thing is, is that he, he is Robbie Fowler. He, his name recognition is probably more, has carries more weight in the UK than it does here. So, look, I, I think, you know, he, to, to me, he seems like a calculated person. Now, I think he wouldn't just take a risk and go, you know what, I've... Today, I don't feel like coming back to Australia anymore. He'd have something lined up. Um, look, I'm sure that if he if he can't on himself, I'm sure his link at being at Liverpool, I'm sure sure will sort of you know keep him sort of in check. But also as well, one thing we also got to remember as well is that Tony Grant also is not coming back. And I feel like Tony Grant might have been just as important for the raw turnaround as well because mm. he was the one that I feel like was coaching Fowler. I think he's the one with the experience in the coaching role and might have been saying, hey, you know, in my experience, the best thing to do is X. And Fowler would either take or, well, probably take that advice considering he was brought on to be that number two. All right, now we will move on um, just quickly with the raw statement as well, which is basically, uh, I think what we got was pretty much the same as the members email that Mm. I got as well. But basically, yeah, just confirming that uh, the club would like to take this opportunity to thank Robbie and Tony for their contributions. And we wish them and their families well in their future endeavours. Now, look, full, full disclosure, my first thought was I would love to get an uncensored reaction from um, Raw CEO Dave Pure, but I don't think we're going to get that. We, we will try and chase up a chat with him, though, for our season return show. Um, but yeah, overall, I think this does, this does have to lead into the fact that 
Roy Fowler was only in charge for 23 matches for the Raw. And, look, one way or another, he made plenty of headlines. Now, Scott, did you want to run through the stats from his time in charge of the Raw? I can, but you've probably got him in front of you better than I do because I don't have the run sheet open, so you go for it. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, you put it together, so I thought I'd at least give you the opportunity to do that. Um, yeah, 23 matches, 10 wins, 6 draws, 7 losses, 28 goals scored, 25 goals against. Uh, in the A-League, fourth after 22 games, and FFA Cup, he got the club to the round of 16 for the first time in four or five seasons? Since the first one. Okay, so it's let's It's easy to say it that way. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Now, all things considered, he I think it's fair to say he came in with a massive task at hand where he had to basically rebuild a club that was right back down to square one. Uh, like, right back to square one, he basically, you know, reloaded the entire squad and had to engage with a fan base that was bitter, cynical and jaded after the last 18 months of the John Aloisi uh, Darren Davies interim tenure I think that says that says it all like about the job that he came in to do and on the pitch I actually think all things aside he was actually that could actually almost be called the starting point of success Scott? It could be. It's an interesting point you mentioned that about the fan base being jaded. The reaction today is not exactly disappointed. Mm. A lot of people are just completely indifferent about this. Probably saw it coming like the three of us did, but it's interesting to see that that's the way it's panned out. But you're right, he's done it. On his tenure, I do think he did a, a lot of good things. The squad he built at the Raw is a very good very good squad for A-League standards. It's a team that functions well and it's got a little enough quality in there to get results, and that's what we saw over the course of the season, James. They started off slowly because there's so many new players getting used to football here in Australia. Once they got up to speed, look at players like Brad Inman, Tom Aldred, Macaulay Gillespie, all of those guys with Robbie Fowler of signings, and they all performed quite well. So I do think he did some good things. It's just I just wish he'd stayed to finish it off. I just keep saying it. Adam, we'll go to you. Yeah, look, I was just, I was just looking at those stats. I'm saying, considering that you know, they had only won one game in their first seven, to actually, you know, to, to finish off, you know, for actually 10 wins, actually, I think it speaks volumes. Uh, they, they've sort of, they, they had, as, as Scott said, had that slow start. Yeah, they were really sort of building momentum. I think the worst thing that could have happened was the pause because they were really, I think they were at the point where, with the exception of that, probably that Sydney game at, at Cogra, Look, they they were you know, flying. So yeah, I, I tend to agree that you know from a purely football sense, it's disappointing that he didn't finish what he started. But you know, like I said, there's a global pandemic that's probably you know, a lively reason for that. Just to be clear, James, those stats include the FFA Cup results as well, not just league. Yes, it's all competitive mm. games. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, I do think the fact that like I, I've got to be honest, like I feel like fan engagement wasn't really something that. Like, or getting the fan base on board wasn't necessarily a priority for Fowler in his role because I don't think he's actually had to work that hard to win over an audience ever in his career because, let's be honest, like when you've put together the playing resume he has, you get a pretty solid group of supporters no matter what. And we'll get on to the good and the bad as we go into this. But I do feel like overall it was a case of, you know, he did his best to create the siege mentality early on and basically just go yep this is the way we're going to play yeah it was very much about focusing on the football getting the football right and then everything else will fall in order that seemed to be the way he went about it James and there's some there's some validity in that because the football did get better as it went along that's it and I don't think it was necessarily you know black and white of it was all rubbish or it was all great but the one thing that I do actually really appreciate about the way that Fowler went about doing his business is he came in and said 
this is the way we're going to play, you know, for better or worse. And it's an ad- And while I accept the style wasn't the same way of another manager who had that approach, a certain championship winning so- um, boss in Japan at the moment, but I do feel like at least, you know, he's come in and said, I know how we want to play. I'm going to build my team to do this. And yeah, okay, like that round four draw with the Wanderers, which I think put a lot of people to sleep, wasn't great, but he at least came in with a very, very clear idea. Yeah, and I think also as well that the fact that, you know, you talk about fan engagement and also the style of play, so Vermillion won, like he really seemed to, he and a lot of the English boys that are in the side really took offence to that, that terminology of Brexit ball that was made up by, by the rise of the Ladies League. And look, I don't want to go rehash what happened there because it's a, it's a, it's a yeah, you know, superfluous situation. But the fact is that he was able to turn stuff like that around and basically even use it as motivation. Look, I think you know there's there's a lot to sort of you know to unpack as far as what he was able to do with that squad. And there's my dog just making a guest appearance in the background. Is on my that wife point, gets though, home? James, the stuff that happened on social media with Brexit ball, as Adam's referring to, that's the sort of thing. If he does get a job over in the UK, he's going to have to expect that because. The scrutiny over there is a lot stronger than it is here. And if you can't handle it here, you're going to really struggle with handling that overseas. Well, and that's the one part of the incident with the Ladies League that I do want to touch on because, like, I, I don't want to rehash something that happened several months ago, but yeah. you, do, you are right in the fact that, like, all things considered, compared to some of the flack that, he would, that you can cop from the UK tabloids, which is basically like Twitter on steroids... I do feel like that's probably something that he's going to have to change as he goes forward, where he's going to have to learn to take that sort of that that sort of criticism and sort of ignore it, for lack of a better phrase. And maybe the best way for him to do that is to get off the cesspit that is Twitter. Yeah, but that's the thing is as well. But as I said at the time, this is a, so this is a guy that has you know, that has copped the wrath of a very very rowdy you know, rivals, as in as in. Um, you know, is Neverton, which is my club. You know, the fact is that person I still never forgave him for what he did, you know, that the whole you know, stiff in the touchline thing. And that's just, and like I said, it was more than what you know, anything that was the worst thing that we could have said. Now any you know, anywhere, you know, in on Twitter or multiply that by ten times, that's what would be the level of feeling against Robbie Fowler. So the fact that I don't even think he even was even bothered by it. the fact that he played Everyone like a fiddle and was able to basically you know, turn the attention away from the side because of that incident and all the, the drama that came out of that. At the end of the day, it, there was a distraction. So I think, in fact, I'd say you know, the fact that the supporters of the Lays League are taking a victory lap, I hate to say it, but I think he's the one who won. Scott, you got anything it's to very add to much, it? As Adam's describing, that's very much um, what Sir Alex Ferguson used to do at Man United. Mm. Every time they'd have a poor performance, he'd he'd blame a referee or he'd blame something else and all the rest of it take the focus away from his side. And I think you might be right, Adam. He did kind of did that in a, in a way, in a different way. He brought it up to more towards the fans instead of blaming a referee all the time or someone else. Yeah, that's fair. And look, I still don't like it, but that's what he did. No. Yeah. And it is, let's be honest, it is an effective PR strategy as well. And that's what, that's part of what being a manager is now is managing the public relations. And look, that that is one thing that like even going back to way earlier in the season where he and Tony Grant would be like getting into it with fans on Twitter. I remember there was a game in Feb- early February, I think it was the uh, Super Bowl weekend, where he and Grant were going at someone for calling them boring as well. And so it's not like they necessarily singled out the uh, ladies' league for all of that. 
I think it is just a case of maybe they had a little bit too much time on their hands. Perhaps. I also don't think this, we're talking about the actual style of football. I don't think it was that boring at all. It was certainly wasn't defensive. Just because there was three at the back doesn't mean it was a defensive style of play. Because you saw quite often the the two fullbacks would get forward, and even Gillespie and Neville playing as centre backs would get forward and get crosses in the box regularly. So I certainly don't think it was a defensive style of play at all. It, no, was, it, a, it was a modern attacking style of play, and it was starting to come together. Exactly. I think what we saw early on as well is you know, the fact that a lot of players were still thinking and we probably saw a very, very slow version of the style that they want to play. And we were only really starting to see that coming through in that Wanderers game. I think that was the second last one they had at Suncorp mm. Stadium, the 3-1 yeah. one, one where they just went full on blitz on the Wanderers and it paid massive dividends. And that's a, that's a thing that I will just remember overall. And I think I said this to Adam uh, from FTBL. I think I got the letters right there. But where I said, you know, he, he... The only grade he can really give Fowler, sadly, is incomplete because, let's yeah. be honest, that's all his tenure was, is the fact that he set out with a project in mind and he's bailing because why why not? So that's my opinion on it anyway. It, it, was, a, it was a playing style that was evolving. And, look, you brought up that Wanderers game at Suncorp Stadium before the pause, and that was probably where you actually could start seeing... Right, all the months and months of preparation and all the juggling around with personnel and all that, they finally had figured out, you know, how, how, what style they wanted to play. So it was, again, it was a shame that the suspension league came, you know, as it did, because, um, like I said, you could actually start seeing that months and months of frustration and whatnot was finally sort of, you know, was it actually becoming a finished product. So you're right. If that, that, to me, if I was asked, well, what would be the number one, the best game under the, in the foul of Severa? It would be that Wanderers game with the one I'd pick. All right, Scott, uh, final thoughts on Fowler's tenure in a sentence. Uh, if, on best game he's played, I thought it was the first game against Sydney FC where they went down there and put on a really polished performance in the FFA Cup. I thought that was a really good performance and showed very early on what could have been if it had been followed through. But I also think he did give a lot of young players a chance, James, as well. We haven't mentioned that yet. He did give... John Courtney Perkins a chance. He was playing under-18s in the MPL and brought him in and gave him an opportunity. He did outstandingly well. He's given Merz Muradovic plenty of football yeah. in, the, in the late games at the end of the season as well. So he's given young players an opportunity. But to sum up his tenure, you're right, James, it's, just, it's incomplete. It started off as a nice rebuild. It was building nicely. And now I think it's back to square one with a new coach, which we'll probably get to in a minute. But it's incomplete. That's what it and- is. And that is one thing that I do think, like, above all else, Fowler does deserve credit is the fact that he's picked some young players that can do what he wants them to, and, like, he's giving them a chance. Now, I know that won't please the uh, certain segment of the fan base that thinks any A-League players over the age of 25 should be taken out the back and shot, Mm. but (laughs) the fact of the matter is, like, he brought through some of these players, and, look, maybe the new manager has a pretty good base to work with now. All right. Speaking just one other the- thing, James, not only young players, but also some of the more experienced guys. Think of someone like a Jacob Pepper, who was always thought of as a, as a squad player, someone who you bring off the bench and maybe start if there's an injury crisis. He became a starting midfield player in this side as the season wore on. And he started to get the best of players like that as well. So he was getting the best of his players. You have to give him credit for that as well. Scott McDonald as That's well. That's another one. Yeah. You know, who looked sort of, you know, floundering at Western United. He came up to Raw, and I think since he came back, obviously he put his best performances for the Raw. So, again, another one where, you know, an older player who sort of flourished in the Fowler era. Definitely. And, look, I think all we're going to be left with now is what could have been because, 
As it stands, the interim managers for the Raw will be Darren Davies, who was the interim manager for the bulk of last season, as well as Warren Moon, who we actually thought might have been a candidate to take over the full-time job last April. But as it so happens, those two will be steering the Raw through the remainder of the A-League season while they make plans to appoint a new full-time coach. So just quickly, I I, I will keep this very quick because we have been going for quite a while and we're trying to keep this under half an hour. But first and foremost... Scott, what are your expectations for the Raw for the rest of the season? Because keep in mind, we do have to do a season resumption pod, so don't, you know, shoot it all off here. I think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. I mean, a, a new coach comes in, or even if it's just a new interim coach comes in, new ideas perhaps, will they go with a new new idea? Will they just continue playing as it is? It's interesting. Finals isn't guaranteed, James. If you look at the table, there's still four or five games to be played, and there's still a few teams who are outside the top six who can get into it. So the Raw are going to have to get some results when the season resumes. I think they can get in, and I think they will get in, but I just, it's not a guarantee. It'd be and really, that'd be one of the fascinating teams to keep an eye on to see what happens. And to be honest, I'd like to reserve judgment because, look, there's so much going on at the moment. We don't know what the full effect is going to be of this. We don't know who else is not coming back as well, you know, both players and coaches at the moment. And to, to me, in my mind, uh, it's, Sad to say, but I, I'm really not looking forward to this resumption because I just think it's a waste of time. You know, but look, that probably doesn't work well for our content. So give me, you know, give me some time to sort of think about, you know, once we do the resumption pod. But my immediate reaction is I'm just not that invested or excited about this resumption because, quite frankly, I think Sydney should have been awarded and they should have won it and, uh, we, and we should be preparing for next season. But that's, that's my personal view. Um, Look, I'll reserve judgment for the time being because there's still plenty to go on as far as we don't know how the shape of the league is going to be in a couple of weeks' time. And you can hear Adam's uh, full, you know, bundle of uh, sunshine and rainbows and everything <laughs> on our season resumption podcast. It'll be out <laughs> around about the 9th or 10th of July. <laughs> All right, so uh, some of the discussion, uh, some of the uh, replacement candidates, just quickly, we'll run through some of the names that we've been able to pull out as well. Uh, ben Khan, current Olympic FC head coach, Back-to-back NPL Grand Final appearances. Uh, Wiley coach, former Wiley coach with the Mariners. And uh, I believe he's actually also now, excuse me, finished his coaching badges as well. That's what he's been working on over the last year as well. And like, I'm going to go right off the bat. He would be my pick to replace, uh, not Warren Moon. Well, he could technically be replacing Warren Moon as one of the interim managers, but Ben Carr will be my pick, Scott. Yeah, there's, we'll get to a few more in a minute, but there's a lot, there's a lot of talented coaches in the southeast Queensland corridor, James, who haven't had the opportunity for a while now. I think this is going to be it. I think the trend across the A-League now will be for Australian coaches, and I think it'll be local coaches. You'll still Carl Viet get the um, interim job down in in Adelaide. Grant Bredner's the interim Bredner, coach yeah. in Melbourne. They've both gone relatively local. Brisbane have gone local with Darren Davies and Warren Moon in the interim. I think that all three clubs will probably look rather local, at least two of the three will look local for their for their next full-time head coach, and I think Ben Khan's an excellent candidate. I mean, we've seen him develop as a coach here in the NPL Queensland over the last couple of years. He's tactically versatile. He'll, he's willing to try different things and not be rigid to one particular system. He'll change it up to suit the way the opposition plays as well. I think, that's, I think he's a real strong candidate, and I think he's been linked with a couple of other jobs as well. I hope he does get a chance in the league, whether it's in Brisbane or somewhere else. I hope he gets an opportunity because he's more than good enough. Yeah, look, I think the the beautiful thing is that I reckon that you know the field is going to be it's going to be sort of fairly competitive as far as you know. There are some capable coaches in the NPL 
Queensland at the moment, even former, like obviously Warren Moon, Ben Carnes, we mentioned. I'd even go as far as saying the likes of a great pity, yep. Owen Baker, you know, Graham Harvey. You know, there there are so much, you know, you know, talent coaching that has been un sort of unexposed as far as you know, on the national level. And look, and there's even you know a coach like I did read someone suggest someone like a Luke Wilkshire as well. You know what he did Wollongong. So look, I think locally, I think we've got an embarrassing Richard. So I'd be pretty shocked and even disappointed if Bristol Raw would even dare look overseas for another coach. You know, another coach overseas. I think we've got plenty of talent within, you know, sort of at least the game in this country and even in this state. Yeah, I think I think it is going to be a local coach. I think that's something that we've all discussed off air quite frequently is the fact that it feels like Robbie Fowler was only ever going to be a short-term appointment with his mm-hmm. two-year contract. And if he saw it out, he probably would have left then and then there would have been a local coach ready to take over. And as you said, Adam, there's plenty to do it. Darren Davies, I feel like, I'm not sh- Last year, he said he wasn't ready to take on a full-time head coaching gig. So, And I'm going to guess not much has changed in the last 12 or so months. I wouldn't be surprised if he sticks around as an assistant again because I think he's very happy in that role. From what I can gather, he seems to like it at the Raw, despite the fact that his boss seems to change every six or so months. <laughs> But uh, a bit, yeah. like my, bit like my career, my other job. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, one of the other names, uh, Carl Dodd. Quick thoughts on him, Adam? Yeah, look, uh, national team experience uh, as far as, you know, at the international level, but in Guam at the moment, at the, it'd have its challenges. Look, uh, he, but he's highly regarded. So even he, I'd even, like, I'd even throw in names like even uh, Jake Goodship you now at the moment. He's doing W League. You know, he, look, he might be a contender. Um, yeah, look, there's, and there's plenty more that, you know, names escape me as well that, you know, I think, look, Matt Smith even, you could even throw in there if you want a long shot. I wouldn't be surprised if he comes on as an assistant coach, but uh, as you mentioned, Adam, long shot suggestions. I've got one as well, and I want to get in before Scott beats me to it, because oh. uh, I've mentioned, I mentioned this before, uh, mine is Harry Kuehl. Oh, that's not where I was going with that. Oh, good, so you can stop threatening <laughs> to punch me then. I was going to go my- with another left-sided attacking player. Uh, we call, know, we doing his coaching Australia, badges over in Europe. Former Raw player. Thomas Broich. Of course. Uh-huh. In I, all seriousness, I, I, do t- I would love to see Broich coach. I, don't think it, I think it's too soon for him. I think he's still got to get some more coaching experience under his belt. To me, I do think it's going to come down to Ben Khan and Gray Piddick. I think yep. it sounds like those two are going to be the ones. I think if Warren Moon was going to be the head coach of the Brisbane Raw, he would have been the interim coach announced today not Darren Davies. So I think that seems to be like he's happy in that academy space. So I think it's going to come down to Ben Khan and Gray Piddick and I don't think you can go wrong either way. They're two two very good coaches, one with more experience than the other, but they're two really good coaches. I think we'll have to ask Warren if he's enjoying his desk job. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> more more than being on the sidelines cuz yeah, look cuz he he would be my he would be my pick Warren, but you but you bring up a good point Scott that you know, if if he had ambitions to be the head coach and nothing else, yeah, look, he would have been announced on his own as the as the interim as the interim coach. So I've got a feeling that he wants to be the he wants to remain in the academy general manager's role for a little while longer. So look, if that's what he wants, you know, he he deserves. He's doing and an excellent I, job there as well. Yes, absolutely. And one other issue as well uh, with Warren Moon as well that I would hope that someone, uh, ideally from the Raw, who's listening to this might be able to help me out with. But uh, I'd love to know what uh, level of coaching badge Warren actually has because someone mentioned mm. to me today, mentioned to me today, because yes. I posted on Twitter saying, you know, I'd love to see Moon, Khan, or Huel uh, as a 
out their option. And they, said, and they did point out that uh, Moon might not have the necessary coaching badges just yet to be a senior A-League coach because we do know that um, the guy from Auckland, Ramon Tribule or whatever, yeah. that was one of the that reasons was... why he wasn't the raw coach. So Yeah, no, that's a good point about Warren Moon. Again, only he can answer that or someone close to him. But uh, yeah, look, that, that is a big factor as, as well. So actually, if they are... You know, they're badged and qualified, so... Well, we know Ben Khan's got his pro licence because he'd finished it last year, so... Mm. Yep, all right. I'm I'm picking Ben Khan. Uh, Harry Kuehl is my long shot. Any other other names you want to throw out there before we uh, wrap this up? No, I think think we've covered it. I I think that's where I think that pool lies. Like I said, I just don't think... um, Especially this time and given the, the current climate globally... Both, you know, in general and in football, I just think you know, searching, going a worldwide search. Um, I think for the next year or two, I just don't think it's worth it. You know, go local. Those Scott, worldwide any... searches always end up with just picking the guy local anyway half the time. So you might as well just stick with a local coach. There's plenty of good candidates all across the NPL, not just in Queensland but nationwide. Yeah. It's time we start to give some of those coaches an opportunity. Yep, and my, my main reason for picking Ben Carney is I would hate to see him on another team's A-League sideline. And that that's... You you do the... You, you make the pick that nobody wants... Nobody... None of your rivals want to see you make. That's my theory. And yeah. I feel like I'd rather see Ben Khan get a go here than anywhere else because I think he could be really well-placed to be, like, a long-term option for the Raw if he doesn't get an overseas offer. All right. Uh, if you've got any other names you want to uh, throw out as well, you can get in contact with us. The Raw Review on Facebook, at BNE Football on Twitter, Brisbane Football Review at gmail.com. Send them all in, and we will read all of them on our season resumption podcast, which, as we mentioned, will be out around about the 9th or 10th of July, where I think we're actually going to record in the same room for the first time in about four months. Assuming the borders are open. <laughs> well, we know, we know you've got a long way to come to uh, our studio, Adam. <laughs> And one of the things we will actually have to uh, discuss when that comes up will be the health advice that came out today of Queensland sporting teams across all codes must quarantine for 14 days if they play a Melbourne team in Queensland, play a match in Melbourne, or play in another state against a team who has been in Melbourne in the preceding 14 days. I say we just get rid of Victory City and Western United for the rest of the A-League season and we'll just play it with the eight teams that are left. James, you could have cut that sentence off halfway. Just... Get rid of Victory, Sydney, and West United. You could have just stopped right there. <laughs> that would have been perfect. Could have just ended the whole show right there with that. And then, right, and then well, again, it's to my point before. I think this is just a, yet we've seen the scrambling that the AFL have had to do today to try and to change the draw because of the this health advice. Um, we know Melbourne Storm and the NRL are now based on the Sunshine Coast, so it will be interesting to see between now and when we're on when we do our podcast. If how the FFA navigate this because this is a, this is a big problem. So we have three clubs, and Melbourne. that's why we're adopting the wait and see approach before we yep. actually get into too much discussion on this. Mm. Because let's be honest, by the time that uh, people are listening to this on their Tuesday morning commute tomorrow morning, there'll probably be about four or five changes to this. There'll certainly be changes by the time we record our season resumption podcast as well in a week and a half's time. Definitely. All right, that's going to be it for this emergency edition of the Brisbane Football Review. Thank you, Scott. Good to see you again, James. Thank you, Adam. Yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, pleasure to see you all. Yeah, it's good to be yeah, back. Have a shave, Scotty. Hey, how dare you. <laughs> all right, that's going to be it for this edition of the Brisbane Football Review. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and uh, we'll be back in a little while to talk about the resumption of the A-League season. We'll talk to you then.